Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world. With the most candid interviews. The mind can play a tremendous influence on your performance, whether it be golf or you name it. I don't care what it is. If you go in with the proper background, it doesn't have to be perfect, but you go in with the proper background and the proper mental state, the odds are you're going to come out successfully. Taking you beyond the ropes. I refuse to give up on life, even though it's been it's been bumpy. You get back up and do it. I know you can. You owe it to yourself and you owe it to your friends to be the best person you can be. Unforgettable stories. Say Elaine for us. Yes. <laughs> Elaine, you're out on your patoot. Go spend a week in the Yakavongo Delta. <laughs> a bridge to the past. Years and years from now, Mr. Palmer, what do you want the legacy of Arnold Palmer to be? Well, uh, I suppose just that I have made a contribution to the game to help make it a little better. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. Johnny Miller has made a profound impact on the game of golf in multiple areas. In 1998, Johnny Miller was named to the World Golf Hall of Fame where forevermore his accomplishments will be enshrined. Johnny Miller won the 1973 U.S. Open, an absolute record final round 63 to accomplish the feat. He won the Open Championship in his second major in 1976 at Royal Birkdale. Multiple times he was runner-ups in majors, including the Masters in 1971, 1975, and 1981. Johnny Miller also distinguished himself because he won 25 times on the PGA Tour. Combined, there were only 21 other souls ever that accomplished that many victories combined with that many major championships. It's a delight to welcome Johnny Miller to the show. Johnny, how are you, sir? Yeah, just fine, Matt. Thanks for having me on your show. It's an absolute delight. It's an honor to have you on the program. And and I thought if if you would allow, we'd start with this discussion about you as a player. Obviously, you as a broadcaster is a major part of the story right now with the impact that you made in that area as well. I would dare say Hall of Fame in, in, in that accomplishment. But I want to talk to you about your playing days and, and how you got into it. When we go back into the annals of the life of Johnny Miller, how were you introduced to the game? Now my father um, picked up the game. He used to be a tennis player, but he picked up the game when he was uh, like in the late twenties, and and he sort of fell in love with it. And um, he sort of tried to play on his own without lessons. And he actually came uh, uh, came at, into being a pretty darn good player. He won the sportsman flight in the San Francisco City Championship, and and it was about a mid to high seventy shooter. Um, and so he was a good player, but he said what a lot of people out there, a lot of you folks out there, when you start making your first couple of birdies, like, wow, I wish I'd have started when I was younger. Um, maybe I could have been a Turing pro. And uh, and with that, uh, I was five years old at the time. Uh, he started, uh, my brother, who was four years older, my sister was two years older, and then a younger sister. A little later on, she started, too, getting balls down in the basement. He got a army tarp uh, from the army surplus store and a mat to hit off in a big mirror. And I remember the three books, the uh, Slam and Sam Sneed, big book, like Life Magazine size. And 
uh, Byron Nelson and uh, and Tower Golf, and then in the mid '50s, the Modern Fundamentals of Golf by Hogan. We just worked out of that um, uh, down. I was down that basement for two and a half years, and finally started taking lessons over at uh, San Francisco Club from John Gerson and Tony Lima. Actually, was the assistant pro at the time, and so wow. uh, so uh, you know it was. I had never gone to a golf course uh, until I was seven and a half, two and a half years later, and started playing junior golf at eight. And he got me to all the junior tournaments and was able to to work different shifts at RCA Communications. And um, just you know, he just he was determined to make one of us or two of us in my uh, into champion into a champion golfer. My sister Joni, the younger one, was actually the best in her age group in Northern Cal, and then she sort of I think discovered boys but um but the bottom line is he was amazing the things that he taught me how to sort of look like a champion how to put a glove on the right way and how to <laughs> squint your eyes and put your hat on right and you know he just you know had me doing push-ups and pull-ups and squeeze grips and you know just all these exercises and you know he kept preaching that you know if you want to be the best you got to be willing to do what other guys aren't willing to do especially other junior golfers and so I became a pretty good junior player and and basically enjoyed everything he said. He was always positive, um, you know, always said you're getting better, which is very important that you just keep getting better a little bit. So, yeah, he was he was he was he was amazing. He was reminds me a little of Tiger Woods' dad, um, but maybe a little uh, more positive. But uh, Earl Woods had those father's affirmations of greatness and so did my dad have that it's amazing and do i remember hearing you say someplace one time that as a kid you were like the best putter at, at the club that that you could pay, play games and for nickels and dimes and win them all the time yeah actually when i was about i'd say when i was around 12 years old i would put anybody on on the pro tour i, I was you know you have no nerves at 12 but I had been working really hard for, you know, since I was five and had a naturally really good stroke. And I was just like a magical putter, you know, and I was a little guy when I graduated from ninth grade, uh, I was five foot two inches and 105 pounds. And, uh, but I still could beat, you know, most, uh, most all the, the kids who had, had grown up faster. And, and when I, and then from that point on from 10th grade to 12th grade, I grew nine inches. So, um, and then I grew a couple inches after I was 21, which is really weird, but ended up being, you know, six foot two and a half. But, um, um, yeah, it, I always was able to hit irons closer than the other kids and I was good around the greens and, and, um, you know, obviously the combination of good irons and good putting works pretty well. <laughs> you've, you've been called one of the great iron players, one of the great strikers of the golf ball with an iron in hand of all time. Why, though, Johnny? What is it? Let, get as technical as you want. What is it about your golf swing that that allowed you to have had safe, such face awareness and control and be able to hit the ball like you could to a target? Uh, well, I think it's a bit of God-given talent, but the one thing I was really good at, I had sort of a set position at the top of my backswing, and then I just dial in the speed that I wanted of the swing. I see you guys do it sort of a elementary way of choking down on the club and this, but I, I would just dial in different club head speeds. And 
uh, in my prime, I could hit it on average within a yard of my uh, my distance. So it was 148. Whoa. It would either go, it would either go 148, 147, or 149. And you know, of course, I mishit it maybe once out of 50 times. But I mean, the bottom line is this. If it was online, I knew I was going to have a really close birdie putt. It wasn't like I hoping. I just I had a knack for that, and I had a knack for um, looking at the shot. I could my caddy and I, Andy Martinez, before he told me the yardage, I would guess the yardage, and that would get me involved in the shot instead of just walking up there and standing there. And uh, I would guess within one or two yards on average, and um, but that would put me in, into the shot, and then would look at whether the air was heavy or slightly uphill or the raised green, it would bounce farther. We really came up with a number that was very, at the time, very unusual. Not too many guys were that into actually taking every element into into account and, and coming up with a number. And then, then I would have, I'd be able to dial in the, in the yardage. I was just good at, I was real good at the in-between yardages. A lot of guys are really good at their their natural yardage on a six iron, but it's when if your six iron goes one seventy five, what do you do when it's one seventy or sixty nine? You know, so you you know it's hard for them in the in between yardage, and that was my my um, skill was is in dialing that yardage just by dialing in the club at speed down at the bottom. And I really was involved in impact uh, sort of before my time, and uh, just I was able to get that. That blade square impact. I could actually feel like I stopped impact, and uh, so I was feel like I was working on some things. Again, my dad said, "If you know if you want to be the best, you got to feel like you're doing something the other guys don't do or don't know how to do, and that gives you confidence." So that's, uh, that was my area of confidence was um, knocking those flags out, so to speak. Um, and um, you know, tw- I, I played very little golf actually. Uh, as I got older and had a lot of children, uh, but uh, you know, I was able to, you know, like have 29 hole in ones, which is the same amount Jack Nicklaus has got. But he's, but he's, uh, he uh, played a lot more golf than I did, and he, you know, and uh, so probably if I was like Sam Snead, I could have more. Not that hole in ones mean anything, but it sort of shows if you're hitting your irons pretty good. Yeah. I want to go back to the beginning uh, from a professional standpoint, back to the beginning when you won the Southern Open Invitational. It was September 12th, 1971. And this is one of the things I love about your career is that when I look through, when I peruse through your 25 wins and I see who runner-up was, more often than not, they are classic names, Hall of Fame names, legendary names. Well, in this case, it is a World Golf Hall of Famer and Dean Beeman that you beat by five strokes for that first win. What do you remember of that first victory? Well, I had been knocking on the door. You know, you gotta, when you're young, you can win right out of the gate and um, maybe think it's easy. But uh, I had come close to winning a uh, you know, handful of times. And I, uh, the last place I would have thought I would win would be at the Southern Open. It was a Green Valley, I think it was, country club. And, but um but it was all Bermuda, Bermuda greens, the most grainy, slow, into the grain greens. And, of course, I'm a, <laughs> a West, Coast, West Coast guy. So if my first one, the last place would have been would have been in that on that course. But I ended up uh, putting pretty good by sort of locking my hands backwards like um, Zach Johnson. I don't know why I was trying that, but it worked pretty good. But the, I shot 65 the last round. I was sort of, if you look at my career, I won by five shots, but, so I was sort of basically coasting, coming in and enjoying the win, which is it got to be my 
my uh, goal was to get way out in front and then be able to play the last three or four holes with a big smile. So uh, if you look at my career on my wins, I think I won by, in the modern era, by the biggest margins of, of anybody. I think my average win was at least four-shot win. It wasn't, I didn't have too many close ones. I, I sort of like to get out ahead and then, then just keep – I sort of started this green light, yellow light, red light golf. And so when I had a green lighter, even though I had a two-shot lead, I was going to go – that was going to be a birdie shot. And I wasn't going to – like, well, I'm happy with the two shots. I couldn't trust my putting – as I got older, but uh, I wanted to I wanted to extend my lead, and and I was uh, pretty good at recognizing whether it was a yellow shot that wasn't wasn't really my shot, and it was a dumb shot, so play play twenty feet from the hole, that kind of thing, and uh, that 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 really was uh, a big value to my career was uh, knowing when to when to hold them and when to fold them, so to speak. Fascinating. One of the things that's interesting is I, I know a lot of people are familiar with the story of you winning the U.S. Open in 1973 at Oak Mountain, the final round 63, and and something within you, the voice saying, you know, open your stance even more than, than Lee Trevino and all the rest. But I wonder how many people realize that in the Hall of Fame career that included these 25 wins, your U.S. Open still came relatively early, when I'm saying relative to the rest of your wins. It was only your third professional win and I know you were playing well at that time and all that goes into it but it but it still was kind of remarkable there is one thing I've always wanted to ask you the woman that told you that you were going to win the U.S. Open the one that disappeared when you had the 76 but did you ever find out who she was and where this information came from she just I don't don't even know if she was a real person or somebody from up above but she was there and then the 76 she wasn't and Afterwards, she didn't write and say, see, I told you you're going to win. I mean, never, never surfaced ever again. But it was interesting because she was there on uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then Saturday, she disappeared when I had the bad round. But um, um, it was it was interesting because that bad round had a backstory. And that in those days, you couldn't bring your regular caddy and they would just assign you a caddy. And um, the guy I got was Lou Bodine, and he, as he said, I'd never caddied for anybody that broke ninety before. So he was, he was of you know, he was just a nice guy, but he didn't do anything for me. I had to walk my own yardages, and um, and uh, that day I I left my yardage book back at the house that we were staying in, and um, so my I told my I just freaked out when I couldn't find it. I realized it was back at the house. My wife Linda. Went back and uh, and it was about a half an hour drive back and she finally got it to me on the ninth hole. I was already five over par, but um, you know that was that was um, Oakmont's not a, a course that you want to guess your yardages, you know. So and I'd never played it before that week, so uh, that that uh, looked like I had blown that. And I got a letter also on Saturday morning that said you're going to win the U.S. Open from some guy in Iowa. And, I'd never got a, a letter that that's all it was. It didn't sign it. Nothing. It was just from Iowa. You're going to win the U.S. Open. And then after the 76, it was almost like, well, I'll see you guys are wrong. The lady's wrong. This guy's wrong. And, and so it was sort of an interesting um, thing, um, you know, experiences that led up to that uh, winning that open. Uh, and, and the round itself was sort of out of nowhere because it just was a, a perfect round of golf. I mean, it literally was a perfect round of golf. You know, what's interesting about it was this isn't the first time that people competing for a U.S. Open 
we're guided by some inner or celestial voice to do one thing or another that they're going to win. Hale Irwin told yep. me that he that he dreamt of winning two weeks before his victory uh, in 1974, at the the year after you won in 1973, the massacre at Wingfoot. Uh, Jack Fleck famously heard a voice out of the mirror that I spoke to the man himself, and he told me that he felt like it was a voice of God. But the thing yeah. that makes that I wonder there is. If there is some force from outside of you that was this inspiration, why? What was it that what how and why was was Johnny Miller picked at this time? <laughs> well, you probably that's probably the hardest question you've ever asked anybody. It, you know, there was I, I can't say because I was a great guy or anything. It, you know, the bottom line is I was trying to be a good guy, but uh, it was just I don't know. I think I think people get um, inspiration a lot more often then they realize a lot of times it comes and, and they just poo-poo it, so to speak, and it goes. But uh, I learned in my life when I get that um, inspiration that comes to me that I, if it says to do something, I do it. And um, uh, that's one of my uh, better traits is that I listen to that uh, still small voice, so to speak. And uh, it comes more often than you think, but it's uh, that one was sort of out of left field because I was pretty down after the 76. I was you know, I was thinking, well, I got no chance. I'm six back, and I'm like every player that's a, the best player in the world is in front of me. You know, and you know, the Palmer Nicholas player, Casper Trevino, everybody you can think of was in front. Uh, so it was not an easy one to um, to pass those guys on the last day of the U.S. Open. But I had come close in the U.S. Open in '72. I was fifth at Marion. Um, I was seventh at Pebble. I was one of the shot of the lead on the fifth hole on Sunday, um, and I was groomed to be a U.S. Open champion growing up at Olympic Club in San Francisco and uh, playing Pebble Beach, you know, so I felt my father geared me to win a U.S. Open, so um, so it it, um, it paid off uh, growing up on those great courses. Absolutely fabulous uh, discussion here with Johnny Miller, folks, if you're just joining us. We're talking about his victory in 1973 at the U.S. Open. We've also touched on some of his victories, that number, a total of 25 on tour, which is remarkable in and of itself. But 1976, and I am going to circle back around to a couple of the other majors and actually ask you, Johnny, to, to pick some of the highlights of them because I think, you know, 75 Masters stands out to me, et cetera. But I want to talk to you about 76 when you, when you broke through uh, at the Open and you did it at Royal Burkdale, which – Humbly, I think Royal Burkdale is the most underrated course in the rota of of the Open uh, rota, as such as it is. And, and but you did it, and and now you now you've won not only the national championship for the United States, but you've won what was viewed at the time and now as the world's major championship in breaking through there. What are your thoughts about that year? Well, I'd come close at Carnoustie. I had I thought I had to bury the last hole before the playoff was. Uh, Jack Newton and Watson, I was playing with, made about a 20-footer there to um, to end up with the score that, that forced a playoff the next day with Newton. But I didn't realize Bobby Cole and Jack Newton were behind us, one group, and they were falling apart at the end. I thought I had to birdie 18, so I had a drive there that on 18 that I don't know how it didn't move left. This aimed at the edge of the bunker. I was going 20 miles an hour right to left. I think just stayed straight and then went up the left edge of the bunker and fell back in, and this bunker was five feet deep, and I tried to hit a six iron out because I was playing to win, you know, and 
as it turned out, he just needed a par. I ended up bogey, making a good bogey, but I ended up missing out by one shot. And, um, and you know, I, I loved uh, golf over in the aisles, so to speak. And um, I, and I thought that I could win there. And I, I got a guy named Ted Housel who lived right right there uh, 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 near Burkdale, and uh, he was a good player. And he convinced me they were having a drought. And uh, that he, he said, you don't need a driver. Just hit this one iron you got. You always hit that one iron straight. And so he sort of won it for me, uh, Ted did. And, you know, normally I'm very aggressive um, off the tee. I hit a lot of drivers. But I, because of him, I basically only hit the driver a couple times around. And, and um, you know, I just kept it in play and let my irons do the talk. And I wish that he would have carried for me every major. And with that attitude, just get it in play like Jack. Nicholas did. He didn't hit a lot of drivers and majors, and um, so that was um, that was the you know the emergence of Seve Ballesteros. He was 19 yeah. years old. I played, you know, I, uh, he had the lead after the first round, the second round. I played say with Seve the third round on Saturday, and people were sort of falling in love with him. And I was sort of at the top of my game at the time. And um, then on Sunday, I played with him again, and. Um, he sort of fell apart off the tee. He was hitting the driver while I was hitting the one iron. And, um, you know, I ended up uh, breaking the course record, actually, with a 66 the last round, or 73 at that time. And, and so uh, both of my majors uh, were really good last rounds. And um, um, I wish I could have won more majors. But my putting, I was already getting a little bit yippy. And um, actually, I was on my bullseye putter, I had a little red dot on the, bottom of the grip and I would just watch the red dot go one, two, and I was sort of yipping the putts and so I wasn't even watching the ball. I was just watching that little red dot. It was a fingernail polish from my wife and uh, uh, I was always trying different things putting. I was the first one to putt with the uh, putter up the left arm like uh, Longer did and now Kuchar and those guys. So I, I tried all kinds of things, looking at the hole, closing my eyes, you you name it, I tried it, you know. So so I was sort of fighting uh, a little nervous putter. Not tee to green, but nervous putting. And uh, that's one reason why I sort of cut my my uh, career a little short because I wasn't too interested in just playing to make a living. So and when I knew I probably couldn't win very much, I, I sort of hung it up. Even though I did win as a grandfather after I was on uh, 94 with, um, I'd been on, with NBC for five years, I was playing one yeah. tournament a year. Ended up winning, but so maybe I maybe I left it a little early. I don't know. Yeah, at Pebble Beach, it was absolutely brilliant win and, and fun for all of us that were your longtime fans. When you talk about the, the if you will, the ones that got away, do does your mind go back to the '75 Masters? Is is that the one for you, or would it be another? Well, the '75 Masters, you know, to me, I look at it as still. Set a scoring record on the weekend, 13 under par, just 65-66. Um, I was way behind, you know, and it was just it was like a horse coming from last place that, and uh, just getting nipped out by Secretary at the nose, which was Jack Nicholas. But you know that was that was a thrilling um, chase, you know. And Weisskopf, the three best players in the world at the time in '75 were Weisskopf, Nicholas, and Miller. Um, and uh, there's never been a major where the three best players in the world were all playing their best golf and 
and and just lighting it up. It was like there was it was everybody was just knocking them dead uh, that weekend. And so um, so I don't I don't feel bad about that one. Uh, the, the one I got away got away was really in '71, my first Masters, where I bogeyed two out of the last four holes to to lose and tie Jack and. Um, you know that that one sort of hurts, but you know the thing is, is you know the Masters is uh, all about great putting, and I I just never made enough putts to win, unless I would have gotten lucky by somebody falling apart, which never happened. In my whole career, I never had a guy like blow it four hole four over the last nine holes to give something to me. I always had to earn all my wins. Why do you think it is? Uh, uh, just uh, you know, I've I've talked to people a lot over the years. The philosophy of or the science behind someone in their putting. Call it yips. You've used the word yourself. That 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 whatever happens neurologically. Have you ever wondered what it was and why it happens? Um, you know, it's a good question. You know, it's like a guy that wins the gold medal at the Olympics in offhand pistol shooting and the best in the world and then four years later he can't even make the team and you wonder well look at now why would that happen and it's just those fine little muscles and then the thoughts that go through your head and maybe the maybe the expectation gets gets to you uh you know and not everybody's prone to the yips i mean look at phil mickelson right now i mean he just won the at&t and darn near getting 50 years old he putted better than anybody there that that just does not happen i mean yeah many guys actually putt like he's putting right now he's just putting lights out and you know that's just a gift i mean that's a total gift because most guys when they get in the late 30s they start um just not putting terribly but just not putting like when they were in their prime or when they were a kid and uh it's just hard to keep it going some guys really lose it and a lot of guys lose it but you never hear about it but um it seems like the, uh, the players nowadays don't get quite as yippy because they don't use the wrist as much as the greens are so fast and you just sort of rock your shoulders but back in the day when we played you had slower greens and and you had to use a little bit of hand action to get a you know putt to the hole a longer putt and so we were more prone back then to guys getting the yips so it was it was part of the game no doubt but Jack Nicholas never had him, and Trevino never. Well, actually, Trevino did get a little yippy, I guess, when he was around 50. But, um, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that it just happens. There's nothing you can really do about it. It's just those fine little um, twitch muscles that can get twitchy, all right? Yeah, and I thought about it because you used the term earlier when we were talking about your ball striking that was so consummate, and you said, well, a lot of it was a God-given gift, right? And I've often yeah. wondered that about nerves in putting, if there's a certain extent that's just a God-given gift. Either you, you have it or you don't. It's just the way it goes. Yeah, it is. You know, I always thought that, you know, the iron shots, you always had, you could hit a low straight, you could hit a little cut hook, you could hit a normal height and cut hook straight, or you, could, you hit all these, you can hit all these, you have an answer to everything. We're putting, <laughs> there's no low or high, and there's no slice or hook. It's just, you know, you have just one way of doing it, you know, and I always like to have different ways of doing it. It would be a little more creative, but in putting, it's just, it is what it is. You got to hit it square and hit the right speed and read the green right. So uh, it is a gift. You get a guy like uh, David Toms or Crenshaw or some people are just uh, Larry Mize or just Billy Casper are just phenomenal putters. You know, a Tiger it might be the greatest putter of all. So when you look at the great, great golfers, 
you really are looking most of the time at the great, great putters. Were you worried when Tiger came back, as you mentioned him, were you worried with, with the wedge in hand that he had a little bit of the chip yips? It sure looked like it, didn't it? It just, he was chunking them and he was blading them over the green. It was almost like, who is this guy? I was thinking of all the people in the world that would get the yips, it wouldn't be the way they chip around the green and scramble around the green. It wouldn't be Tiger or Phil, but lo and behold, it was Tiger that just, he said he couldn't find the bottom of his, of his uh, motion, you know, which it sounded crazy to me, but uh, he, he probably hit so many chips in his backyard there hundreds of thousands of them after that to get out of that and become a great chipper again. I, I, I give them a lot of credit to overcome that because most people, when they get the yips chipping, they are done. You know, it is just, they just freak out on those into the grain tight lies, you know, where you can chunk it so easily. And he, he seems to be really good now again. And it was, of course, the tour championship was a great win. I was able to cover. And, oh yeah. Uh, and so it's, it'll be interesting to see how he does this year after winning at um, at tour championships, he's already 13th in the world ranking. At one point, he was over a thousand position. Yeah. So he he's got shot up the shot up the charts a lot from last year too. I want to ask you about a few things going on in the life of Johnny Miller right now. Uh, in April, Johnny, you're going to be honored by the Francis We Met Foundation. And for those people that are listening to us around the world. This is an incredibly high honor. You're talking about people of likes of Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer, President Bush, that have all received this honor in the past. Well, in 2019, it's going to Johnny Miller. What, is it, what does that mean for you, Johnny, with as celebrated a career as you've had at this point? You retire from broadcasting, and in April, you're going to get this honor. Yeah, it's, it's very nice of them, no doubt about it. But, you know, <laughs> I'm at a point in my career that all the guys like Trevino and and players like that, uh, you know, they've already given the word out and they sort of run out of Hall of Famer. So it's like, I feel like, yeah, I guess I'm by attrition. I'm, I'm going to get the <laughs> I award. don't think so, my friend. <laughs> I don't think but, so. But I, you know, at the Masters, I'm getting the Richardson Award, too. And they're, I, mean, I won't say which oh, one it is, but another, another award uh, they want to they wanna give me, um, they get, uh, give me another award this year. I was thinking, Man, I'm I'm not that big on awards in the first place, but I these uh, some of them have asked me several times, and I'd say, well, maybe next year. But you know, I figured I might as well accept them and be thankful and thank my dad, a way of thanking my dad, and and um, you know, and just get it out of the way so I don't have to worry about it in the future. So so it's very nice. Don't get me wrong; the We Met Award is a heck of an award, and and um, and so I appreciate that. You are the host of the PGA Tour Safeway Open as well at Silverado Resort. I've actually never been there. I've only seen it on television as well. How did that come about for you? How did that become your passion? And then you did the course redesigns, and now you have a tour event there. I mean, there's a lot going on. Yeah, I was, um, you know, I went there in 68 playing the Kaiser as an amateur, got an exemption, and uh, when they they held it in February, and the pro Craig Williamson looked at my shoes and he said, you got to have a new pair of foot joys. Those aren't too good, those shoes. And he was really nice to me, but I ended up uh, I was six under the last day when they rained it out. And I was in second place, and I sort of fell in love with the place. And and um, and it was a jumping uh, point for me. I'd already finished eighth in the U.S. Open a couple of years earlier uh, at Olympic Club, and so it sort of gave me the confidence I knew I could play against the pros. But, 
Yeah. And we bought a condo there, it was $36,000 condo that just sold, one of them just sold for 750000 a couple of days ago. Nice. So it went from 36000 to 750 <laughs> But <laughs> But I, I we, we moved there, then we bought another bigger condo, and then we built a house in 74 on my best year on tour. And, and then, uh, and so we've had several homes there at Silverado, and and uh, we I, we just love Napa and, and everything about it. Uh, the vibe that it's there. And so, uh, about, uh, 10 years ago, the resort, um, came up for sale for auction. And, uh, we ended up getting that bid. And, um, now I'm one of the three, uh, third owners that, uh, of the resort. So it's come full cycle from barely being able to afford a $36,000 condo to being one of the main owners. So that, that, awesome. I take a lot of pride and I was able to redo both the, the golf courses there and, and lengthen the driving range. And we've redone almost everything at the resort. So all new rooms inside. And so the resort is really a pretty amazing place. And it's, it's uh, Napa Valley is just so popular. I mean, it's just crazy. People love Napa Valley. So we're, we're lucky to have a uh, resort that you could never duplicate. They would never let you build a Silverado in Napa Valley. I don't care what kind of money you had. So it's pretty rare property. SilveradoResort.com is a website, folks, if you want to check that out as well. Now, talking about places that you love, we've already touched on it a couple of times in this interview, but Pebble Beach and all that we saw. The, the, Pebble was classic Pebble this last week with the weather and all the rest, and I bet you've got some classic stories of weather over the years if we went down that road. But I wanted to talk to you about something that I saw recently. Uh, an email came across my desk. Johnny Miller Ultimate Golf Experience at Pebble Beach. What is that all about? When is that? And, and can anybody participate? Uh, yeah, we're just sort of getting that going. Uh, we did an Ultimate Golf Experience uh, right before um, I actually got my contract from Callaway with Ely because his wife was at the golf camp uh, way back when, like, years ago 25 years ago and uh we did some schools there and it was really good but i was so busy with the tour that i just didn't have time to do any more of them so that that one went in our back pocket so to speak but now that i'm retired i'm going to try to fire that back up again and um it'll be pretty nice to to do it and pebbles on board with it i represent pebble and um and then we're gonna we have a golf school at johnny moore golf school at Silverado Resort also, so that'll keep me busy. And if I'm involved with junior golf in Utah and, and also in Northern Cal, and uh, so I'm pretty involved with the junior golf and the youth movement in golf. So I'm pretty lucky to be able to, uh, well, I've been doing that for 30, 40 years, so I'm then involved with the Native Americans also. done about over 100 tournaments for the Native Americans. We put, give out about 4,000 scholarships a year to Native Americans, oh. so. That's so, awesome, so, man. Yeah, so it's, you know, all the pros have different things that they do, but, the, you know, those are, I'm not going to have any trouble filling my time, um, even though, you know, the NBC was the, the apex of what I was doing, and the exposure was really, really good. But um, uh, I feel like um, uh, I've been really lucky with uh, falling into the announcing job. It's just, uh, I never even thought about being a golf announcer. Yeah, but you didn't fall into it, Johnny. I mean, you, you you were exceptional because 
your your natural inclination and and your your insights are exceptional, but your natural inclination is just to be honest. I, I mean, can you ever consciously remember editing something that came into your mind and not saying it on the air? Oh yeah, there's a lot of things that go in my mind, but you know they're not <laughs> they're not crude crude things. But I I sort of know when to lay off. You know, if a guy is really you know, semi bleeding at every pore. I, I sort of, I sort of get off of that and wish him well, so to speak. But yeah. Um, but the growing up at Olympic Club, they had a bunch of junior golfers, and man, we were, we had mouths on us in San Francisco. It, it, you know, they have mouths back east too, but you had to be tough with a lot of needling and and uh, you know intimidation that way with uh, what you say to each other and uh, that you know. And then I was also very. Uh, prone to say I choked on a shot or, you know, I was always r- really real about talking about golf, you know, and it wasn't like lammy pammy stuff. You know, nowadays they you can't hardly get a player to admit that they gagged a little bit or their game fell apart. It's sort of like well, my tempo was off slightly and, but they won't hardly even say anything negative, which is probably, I guess a pretty good way, but it sure isn't the way I grew up and the way I thought about my game. You know, I'd be the first one to say I played great but also be the first one to say i choked or you know i was playing terribly so um you know my announcing was just a you know just an offspring of uh that kind of thinking the way i thought about my game as a player and uh, uh, you know most guys are afraid to say the things that they really are when they're behind a mic they they just can't do it they say they're going to do it uh you know it's just it's just um, you know, I just said what I thought. That's all there was to it. You know, even Nick Salvo said, when I get in the booth, I'm going to make Johnny Miller sound like Mary Poppins. Well, we know how much that happens, you know. So, uh, you know, it was he was giving me a cut. But, you know, they can't really do it the way they think they can do it. It's just really hard to, to be uh, tough in the booth. It really is. But what I guess my question is to that, were you conscious of being tough or was it just Johnny being Johnny? It's uh, a good question. I mean, it just what it, it was what it was. You know, it is what it is. I, if a guy's melting down, I'm going to say he's melting down. And I, but I usually try to uh, say, well, you know, the guy's hitting a high fade all the time and then on 16 he duck hooks it in the creek and then next one he duck hooks it and he hasn't hit a duck hook for six months. You know, my thinking is he must be choking because he's hitting shots he hasn't hit for a long time. And, you know, I always thought that the greatness of golf was the choke factor, how well you can finish. That's why we loved Tiger so much. He was so good at at closing out tournaments. And, you know, that is the most interesting part of golf. And to just not think about uh, or not talk about uh, how good you are down the stretch and whether you're going to melt down or whether you're going to be a hero and play great shots. That, that's the essence of the game. And uh, for nobody even said the word choke till my first telecast at the 90 Bob Hope with Peter Jacobson. And uh, people like gasped because I said, you know, this is the perfect shot to choke on. And they said, it was like, don't tell me he's going to start talking about the choke factor. Is he? And uh, yeah. but that was, that was the one area that I felt like, um, uh, you know, it was the most interesting part of golf is whether you can make that putt on the last hole. You know, like um, Payne Stewart when he won at Pinehurst, you know, he made those three putts in a row on 70th hole and 71st hole and 72nd. I mean, that was just fantastic, those putts that he made 
to win that open. You know, that, that, you know, I like to highlight that too, you know, and not just the, the meltdowns. Yeah. yeah. Rightfully so. Indeed. Uh, Johnny Miller is our guest and we're joining a, really a, a, a vast array of his career, both as a player and as a broadcaster. I want to circle around to something else that you said, uh, Johnny, because I think there's a connection to this to your dad, if I remember correctly. You're talking about what you do to help junior golf. Your foundation, the Champ Foundation, why did you call it the Champ Foundation? Well, my dad always called me Champ, and, you know, I sort of tipped my cap and wow. went skyward. And I think about my dad all the time. And so it was a way of honoring my father. Uh, he always had time. He was one of the rare fathers that always put the kids way ahead of himself. And, you know, the, my, my, my sons would call after school and they'd call my dad. And, and, uh, and he would say, you want to go golfing? And the kids would say, yeah. And he wouldn't even say goodbye. He would just hang up the phone and he would be there in like 10 or 12 minutes. It was like, it was never like, well, I'm pretty busy or I'm a little tired. I want to take a nap or never turned him down he was always there same thing for me it was it was always that's a good swing one more ball johnny hit one more okay and he just kept saying okay one more you know that's the way it was with my kids it was always building them up and make and they were all four of my boys were all really good players andy of course made it on tour and and uh, scott played the canadian tour and john played some tour events and and todd was the top five player uh, when he was a junior golfer in the country and so they were all really good um uh, but uh my dad uh, sort of groomed them into being uh, not just really good golfers, but sort of really champion people on and off the course, which is the most important part. I remember you, we were talking about this on the phone recently, but I, I remember you saying something to the world where you said, dads, fathers, be careful what you say and when you say it. Could you share with us what your philosophy was there and how you hope it might help people? My dad um, told me, he said, the strongest affirmations uh, and, and lasting affirmation you'll get is from your own father. And if your father tells you you're a loser or you're lazy or never going to amount to anything, very hard for a son to, to overcome that is. And if you want to groom him, he was really big on working with your psyche and grooming you to uh, to build you up and build up your psyche and your and he just, he was, it was, it was almost all positive. It was like where I'm like, I'm more like, uh, if there's five comments with my kids, it was four of them build them up. And then every once in a while, you got to prune the tree, so to speak, you know, but my dad actually didn't work it that way. He was a lot mellower than I am. I tried to get to the meat of the matter to get their attention a little bit, but in a nice way. And I have a great relationship with my boys, but my dad was, he was sort of ahead of his time with the psychology of the game and and how to uh, how to play great golf and tournament golf and um, you know that that builds you up. Your father is a huge part of every son's life and uh, and and he said the greatest lessons you ever learn have nothing to do with words. It has to do with um, what you're seeing and how you're experiencing experiencing it. Uh, how your father sets an example and how he handles his anger and how he, how he handles that kind of thing is really important. I mean, so important. So uh, you got to sort of lengthen your stride as a father to be a good example and, uh, and be careful what you say when you're angry. Boy, you can say some bad things when you're angry. You got to watch that. 
Yeah, critically important message for many of us to hear. Uh, a couple of things I, I did want to touch on before we say good day to Johnny Miller in, in this interview, which has been fantastic. You mentioned Callaway Golf and meeting Ely Callaway's wife at one of your Ultimate Golf experiences. And if memory serves me, didn't you just sign, here we are in 2019, did you just sign another contract with Callaway? Yeah, it's just uh, literally in the process. It's going to be mailed to me any day now. And Wow. So it's a nice thing. It sort of went full cycle. You know, Ely said that I would be with Callaway the rest of my life. And, um, of course, he passed away. And I sort of um, you know, stopped playing. And it, it went away a little bit. But sort of nice to be back and get the spirit of Ely. Uh, and we had a great relationship. And I'm the one that um, introduced the Big Bertha and the Tuttle Putter and all that. I was their spokesman on TV. And so I have a lot of great memories about Callaway. And, of course, they're on a run right now with uh, their their metalwoods that are that are doing so well and their their irons are great and and they got a lot of good product right now so it's one of those things that you can feel good about representing so I'm I'm real happy and I think it'll be a uh, really a good experience this last part of my my uh, my life so to speak absolutely and if I I think you're still with Lexus as well and and who else are you with Johnny uh, yeah Lexus and um, so uh, I've I've had some other endorsements, but uh, right now it's mainly mainly just uh, my involvement with Pebble Beach Corp and then um, and then uh, Silverado Resort and and um, like you said uh, Lexus and and Callaway. That's that's enough. I, I I'm tired of running all over creation. Fifty years of running all over creation. It's time to just sort of cool my jets and be home a lot for that those twenty four grandkids I have. I got to got to sort of um, pretend I'm my, my father and get those kids going in their golf game and, and, and then also give them life skills and teach them how to fish and, and just get how, to, how to be, you know, that kind of thing. I, I love being around the young people. They're, they're just so much fun to be around your grandkids. Anybody my age at 71 knows what I'm talking about, but I was blessed with so many grandkids that, that uh, it's really a lot of fun. Johnny Miller, years and years from now, what do you want those grandchildren, even your children, but in particular those grandchildren, what do you want the memory of Johnny Miller to be? What do they call you, by the way? Do they, do they call you gr- granddaddy or what's the? Well, the ones in Utah, a lot of them call me Papa, and uh, and my son always called me Pops, and so they, the ones out here in East Colorado call me Pops, and, um, you know, they they, you know, I just wanted to to know that I, you know, I don't lose my temper. Uh, my mother would never raise her voice. I never heard her raise her voice, and golf would make me raise my voice. But um, off the course, I'm pretty calm, and and they, I just want them to know I'm an honest guy and and try to be a good person and try to set a good example for the kids. And you know, I go around the golf cart and I have them pick up trash and things that you know just so the course looks really nice. And I'm hoping they'll pick up the good parts of my habits and, and I, you know, I just, I feel like I'm trying to set a good example because again, the, the most valuable lessons have nothing to do with words. So just the way you act and react to people and, and how you show your love and uh, not necessarily in words is really, really important. So um, yeah, I'm, I've been very lucky, you know, I had great parents and I had a great marriage with my wife, Linda and, and, um, all these years together with these six kids and 24 grandkids. So my, my cup is full of uh, experiences and, 
and blessings. So I've been very, very lucky, thanks to my parents. Is part of that memory, thanks to your parents, a knowledge on your part, Johnny Miller, that you know the time and place where you made your father proud? Are you conscious of that at, at some point, saying, wow, I knew my dad was proud when? No, no doubt. He just loved it. He loved it, uh, all his work and time. And, you know, the greatest gift we can give our kids is our time. And he gave me so much of his time. And uh, so I knew when I was when I was out there and I was winning tournaments, I'd, I'd be thinking of my dad, like, my dad must be really happy right now. And he, he was. Huh. And he, so, yeah, those were, those were sweet times, no doubt about it. Well, it so too has the time that we've all collectively been able to spend with you, Johnny, both as a player and as an announcer. You, you set a historic pathway with everything that you've done in your life. And, and for that reason, that's the reason you're getting all these awards. And that's the reason why you're being recognized, because people are trying to share and some of the things that you imparted to all of us. We wish you great joy in what's next in your life, great peace in what's next in your life, fun with your family and with all of your other ventures that you have going on, SilveradoResort.com, folks, as well. It's been an absolute honor and a delight to catch up with you, the champ that is Johnny Miller. Thank you. Thank you, Matt Adams, and appreciate the Fairways of Life experience with you. And and uh, just um, everybody out there, just choose the right and be grateful. So uh, it's, it's worked for me, I know that. Wow. I, I don't even know what else to say other than, wow. I do want to remind everybody, as you could tell, I put off all of our, our sponsors' reads until the end here, so I am going to ask you quickly to, to please remember com. Log on there and see the new Icon Forged Blade irons. They are absolutely beautiful. See the PTX Pro irons, a new driver, their wedges, their putters, all of it you can find on there, and you'll see why their direct relationship as a micro manufacturer with you is a special one indeed french lick resort it is so good that we're bringing listeners there that's the highest accolade i think the fairways of life show can give a destination to say this is so cool and so much fun we want to come there with our own family and that is all of you fairwaysoflife.com slash french lick for more details on that tour edge golf they are special uh, one you know if you if you're going to stand out from the crowd how do you do it you do things like oh a lifetime warranty think about that for a second a lifetime warranty the best in the world are playing their products not merely because they're ambassadors you've got people that are not part of their paid in in, in ambassador staff you got people that are playing them because they're the best touredge.com for you to find clubs with all of the latest technology without having to refinance your your mortgage in order to afford to buy the product as well bridgestone golf their new reactive urethane cover has reinvented the golf ball no longer do you have to choose between spin or distance you can have them both in one ball just log on to bridgestonegolf.com and check it out and finally uh, not least though ireland.com i am so proud to represent ireland.com and i do it with all of my bias inherent and it's with good reason it is the best links golf in the world let's start planning on this today let's go let's take a couple trips there when, when all this stuff blows over why not ireland.com to get you up to speed folks thank you so much for your company please have a good day be safe out there take care of each other we'll see you again tomorrow Tour Edge continues their meteoric rise in 2020. Over 90 different tour pros have put Tour Edge into their bag, including staffers Scott McCarron, Tom Lehman, Tim Petrovic, and Duffy Waldorf. 
Storage makes clubs for every player type, and they set themselves apart with their unprecedented 48-hour delivery on custom-fit orders and by offering a lifetime warranty and by building their clubs in the good old US of A. Visit TourEdge.com to learn more about their new clubs for 2020. Tour Edge, pound for pound, nothing comes close. Come to where history meets luxury at the family-friendly French Lick Springs Hotel, where there's something for everyone, from kids' fest to shopping, bowling, golf, and other outdoor activities. Or at the West Baden Springs Hotel, you can wrap yourself in old-world elegance, visit our luxurious spa, indulge in an afternoon tea, a historic tour, and multiple sophisticated dining options. Then, finish your day with a cozy carriage ride before turning in for sweet dreams. Only this isn't a dream. Visit FrenchLick.com to plan your vacation today. It's no secret that FootJoy Flex has been one of the best-selling shoes in the game for the last few years. You can literally wear these things anywhere. Well, they now have a version that's completely redesigned and fully waterproof. It's called the Flex XP. You can wear these to and from work, hit a bucket of balls at the range, play 18 of them, wear them into the clubhouse, or out to dinner. Many have tried this type of versatile shoe in the past, but leave it to FootJoy to elevate the category. Now you can start flexing with the all-new Flex XP. Learn more about Flex XP at FootJoy. If you listen to the wind, you can hear it. That's Ireland calling you home. Home to the greatest Lynx golf courses in the world, defined by soaring dunes, undulating fairways, venerable bunkers, and whimsical green complexes. From Royal Portrush in Northern Ireland, site to the 2019 Open Championship, to Ballyliffin, La Hinch, and Ballybunion, numbering among the Lynx golf masterpieces awaiting your golfing sojourn. Come home to Ireland and enjoy the most incredible golf experience of your life. Get started at Ireland.com. Boyne Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship-caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern Lower Peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's masters, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boyne Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boyne Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to BoyneGolf.com and take in all the splendor that is a golf experience unlike any other. TheGolfTravelGroup.com is a luxury golf tour operator that specializes in custom travel itineraries to Scotland, Ireland, England, Wales, Iceland, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, and more. Guaranteed advanced tea times, incredible accommodations, airport meet and greet services, private guided tours and private drivers, all in luxury vehicles, and they have a staff that's been doing it forever. TheGolfTravelGroup.com Take your game to the max this spring with the all-new Tour X golf shoe from FootJoy. Fully loaded inside and out, Tour X delivers max stability, max control, and max comfort. So you can launch it past your buddies. The Tour X wraps your foot in coziness with an ortho light impressions fit bed and a foam collar around the heel, ensuring max in-shoe comfort and support. Tour proven by players like Kevin Kister and Rafael Cabrera-Bayo. Experience max performance for yourself with the all-new Tour X. Shop now at FootJoy.com. What's your bucket list destination? Where have you always wanted to go? What's the number one thing that holds people back from doing that? It's fear of logistics. I don't know where to stay. I don't know how to get tea times. I don't know where to go. I don't know who should take me there. Well, I'll tell you who knows the answer to all those questions. TheGolfTravelGroup.com. That's why the Fairways of Life show has aligned ourselves with these experts. And is there some place you want to go, like the Open or a President's Cup or a Ryder Cup? They can take care of that as well. What is your golf bucket list? Where do you want to go? Do it with TheGolfTravelGroup.com. 
BenHoganGolf.com is where you can go to see the beautiful product that's being produced right now, bearing the name of the legend. You know, when he founded the original company in 1953, Ben Hogan said he did it, quote, to design and manufacture the best golf clubs in the world, end quote, and that is exactly what their mantra is today, only it's going directly to you, not through retail stores, so they're saving that 40%, 50% retail markup. You can get the best, and you can get it directly from their master craftsmen. Log on to BenHoganGolf.com now. Nestled amongst the hills of the Hoosier National Forest resides a classic American destination, the French Lick Resort. Experience the ultimate in golf at the Pete Dye Course at French Lick, voted number one course in Indiana on Golf Week's Best You Can Play for 10 years in a row. The Donald Ross Course at French Lick has been named Indiana's number two course in Golf Week's Best You Can Play rankings every year since 2011. Come experience old world opulence amid modern comfort served with Midwestern charm. Visit FrenchLick.com. It screams. It tracks. It's soft. It reacts. It is the all-new Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try the new Tour B, the Tour Ball. Reinvented. It's time for you to discover Streamsong, a new kind of resort that takes the everyday ordinary to the absolutely extraordinary. Three internationally acclaimed link style courses by golf architecture's iconic foursome of Gil Hans, Tom Dope, Bill Core, and Ben Crenshaw that provide a golf experience distinguished as unlike any you've ever had before, with undulating fairways navigating through wild grasses and deep water ponds and lakes, towering sand dunes to find the unexpected experience of playing golf at Streamsong, the ultimate legendary golf destination set apart by the unexpected. Streamsongresort.com.